If I could just echo real quickly, um, tell you a little bit of information about the team that's going uh, to Burkina this, this week. Uh, they're taking with them uh, an amazing piece of technology that we were able to acquire this week through the <coughs> proceeds from Loma Coffee. As you may or may not know, Loma Coffee is um, part of our church. It's a separate entity of our church, but it's a, a way in which uh, we, we meaningfully connect with our city. And uh, the Loma governance team and mission team uh, throughout the last year has decided that whenever there is surplus uh, in the annual budget from Loma Coffee, that pro- those proceeds will be handed over to the missions team to be handed out uh, to do mission work. And so Loma Coffee this year for our church, for our mission team, has purchased um, a backpack that inside the backpack is a mobile um, movie theater. Uh, so we have in this little backpack that's like 40 pounds, sits in your back, is a movie screen, a projector, um, speakers, uh, microphones, uh, enough, everything that's there to uh, show a movie for up to a thousand people at a time. And so our team is going to be taking that with them, going into new villages and sharing the Jesus film next week. And I'm um, excited about that because you don't need a generator. It's like it's in this amazing technological package, everything that they need. And so our team's going to be able to do that. And the second thing we purchased along with this, this package is a thing called Lightstream, not Livestream, but Lightstream, which is this amazing piece of technology that is its own um, information sending hub. Now, I'm not really technological, but this is the best I, I'm going to share with you what it does. It is its own Wi-Fi, so it doesn't connect to the internet, um, but you can take this uh, battery-powered piece into a village, and with it, you have the ability to transmit information in one of three ways. It has the ability to Bluetooth connect to someone's phone, so if someone uh, wants to get some information, they can get close to the light, the light stream, and it can communicate through blue, Bluetooth, and they can download uh, the Bible on uh, tape in their own language. They can download uh, the Jesus film and other films in their own language so that they have them on their phone or their own personal device. Or it can connect through Wi-Fi, so not to the internet Wi-Fi, but if you have a smartphone, you can come in contact with, you'll see it pop up under your Wi-Fi settings, click on it, and it immediately will show you all the content that is on this light stream. So if someone goes into a village and they have a smartphone, they can download onto their mobile device the Jesus film and all these other uh, opportunities for them to have the Bible with them as they go. Uh, the other way it connects is uh, through SD cards. So mo- most of the phones over in Africa have SD card if it's an older phone. Uh, so you can simultaneously um, copy all of this stuff onto four SD cards at the same time. You pull out the card and you put it in the phone and right there the person can have all of that technology, all of those, those gospel software things at their fingertips. And so this is an amazing device that I'm so excited that the Lord is giving our team the opportunity to go and to use this next week. And as you know, one of the things that they'll be doing is going to the truck stop. Um, and this is one of the main uh, hubs in all of Africa. Everything that's coming from the north to the south has to go through Burkina to be checked. And so one of the, the team will spend one day at the, at the truck stop just talking with truckers that have to wait for their clearance. So they may be there one day or two days or even up to a week. 
And they have nothing to do. And so the team will be going and they'll be taking this light stream with them and being able to help these truck drivers connect with more stories from God's word and with the Bible itself. And so just pray for that and pray for the team that God would use this technology to make his name famous. Isn't that great? Cool. All right, so this morning I want us uh, to open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We're continuing our study uh, in the book of Romans. And this morning, the title of my sermon is, is We Are Not the Judge. If, if you were to watch TV in the evenings, okay, I don't know if you do this, but if, if it's part of, your, part of your life that you like watching TV, if you were to, to try and sit down and objectively come up with uh, what are some things that we can learn by the TV shows that are on TV, I think what you might find is you would think that our culture is obsessed with judges, right? I mean, if you think about the reality shows that are out there right now, if you, if you turn on the TV, you'd be hard-pressed to click through the TV channels and not see a reality TV show. And do you realize that m- many of the reality shows that are competitiveness-like shows all focus around judging? You have... Judges that are trying to determine distinction between this person and this person. We, we want to see who has talent and who doesn't have talent. Who can sing, who, who can't sing. Who can dance, who can't dance. Who can build the nicer house. Who can uh, shoot a gun the more, more straight. Who is the stronger athlete. So we have all of these TV shows that are focused around judging. And even some of these shows... Give viewers the opportunity and the option to weigh in on their opinions. You can phone, dial this number, and vote for your person, the person that you like, the person you don't like, you don't vote for. So in some ways, we we are given the power to judge. And, And what I'm amazed by is if you think about just what may all of those symbols and signals be trying to tell us and teach us. I think there's a a strong influence in our culture today that wants to give us the power to be judges. Right? We, we are inundated with messages that, that the, pers- the point of our life is to try and determine who's right, who's wrong, who's good, who's bad, that in some way that's our job in this world is to walk through and to judge this, judge that, have an opinion about this, have an opinion about that, And in all those ways, what we're trying to do, what we really do, is we end up, instead of bringing ourselves together, we begin to divide ourselves into different camps. We have this camp, and we have this camp, we have this team, and we have this team. We have this group of people that follow this political agenda, and these people that follow this political agenda. And the world we are living in is becoming more and more polarized because the reality and the right to judge rests in me. That's what the world says. And I want us to believe and I want us to understand that that's not the way it's supposed to work in the church, within the body of Christ. We are not to be judges. They're looking for things that distinguish us from one another. The church is supposed to be different. It should look differently because the church is not a place of judges, but the church is a group of individuals that have been found guilty of sin and have, been, have fallen on the grace of God and are now unified because of Christ. They're unified in this thing called the body of Christ. 
And today as we look in Romans 14, what we're going to see is this, this comes in the series of Paul's teachings. Paul has been encouraging believers to live as living sacrifices that are continually being transformed by the renewing of their minds. And so he's been walking through these are the ways in which, as a believer, we are being renewed and being transformed through our mind. So he spends time redefining love. He spends time redefining how we look at authority and how we view authority, how we live in community with our neighbors, how we walk in the light. And so he's been giving us great practical advice, a great practical encouragement how the theology of Romans 1 through 11 actually is lived out in the life of a believer. And now as we move to 14, he is zooming in even closer on a very specific situation that was dealing, that the church at Rome was encountering. So he's going to address a real situation that is on the rise. You see, in the church of Rome, it was quickly moving towards what I would see, it was quickly moving to becoming an episode of Survivor. Now, if you've watched Survivor, you know that there are different tribes, and the tribes compete to out, outwit, outplay, outlast the other one, and you want to see who's the ultimate survivor. And what we see is, is Paul, I believe, if he was, he was looking at the church of Rome and had, had a Survivor as, as an awesome awesome object lesson, he may say, church at Rome, you are on the brink of becoming an episode of Survivor. Because what we're going to see in the Roman church, there were two tribes that were forming. There was the, the weak tribe and the strong tribe. And what was taking place is the weak tribe and the strong tribe were looking at each other and they could see that they were different from one another and they were on a trajectory to become two separate entities or two separate teams in the same body of Christ. And so they were moving towards distinction and not unity. And Paul wants to step in and say, hey, wait a minute, something has got to change here. Some way the Lord has got to change, turn the tide because God has not made us to live in this church, in this community of faith, to be different people and distinct. But he's made us to be unified. So today we're going to take a look at some truths or some things that we can look at ourselves to see if we or our fellowship are moving towards distinction or we're moving towards unity. So as we look in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 and 2 and verse 5, the first thing that we're going to see is that we want to turn the tide and continue towards unity. We need to embrace the reality of differences among believers. We must embrace the reality of differences among believers. Look at me in verses 1 and 2, and then we'll skip on down to 5. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. See, in Rome, there were these two groups. There were the, the Jews that had recently become believers, and there were Gentiles that both had recently become believers. And both groups, as they're trying to work out their faith in this new context of a Christian family or the body of Christ, they were coming together, bringing their old ways into this fellowship. You see, the Jews were finding it difficult to let go of their religious past, 
They were trying, working hard to, to let go of the ways in which they found their righteousness. And so they were, as Paul's referring to, the weaker. The weaker brother in this situation were the Jews. And at the same time, the Gentiles were, were wrestling with their freedom as it relates to holiness. They were coming into this new body of Christ with all of this freedom. And how did they, they were asking themselves the questions, how do, how do I live in this freedom in a way that leads to holiness? And it's distinct from the world that I came from. So what was taking place is there was a, a growing distinction among non-essential practices. There was distinction about how we celebrate and, and how we determine special diets and special days. And so the Jews, who were the weaker, would only eat vegetables. They observed special days, and the days of celebration and remembrance that they remember were both given by God, but also some were developed through transition or tradition. And the Gentiles, on the, on the other hand, ate all they wanted and spent every day as though there was no difference in the days. So Paul here is encouraging the believers that though they have come from different backgrounds, they are to embrace and welcome each other. Do you see that there? He says, what you're to do is to welcome each other. Realize there's distinctions. Realize that you're both coming from different backgrounds, that you're in different places in your walk with the Lord. And so don't be, don't be alarmed by that fact, but realize that what has happened is, is God is adding to the family of God, and we're going to be different in where we are at different places. Some will be weaker. Some will be stronger. But even though the weaker and the stronger, there will always be weaker and stronger among the fellowship of God. But that doesn't mean we have to be distinct. He says, instead, welcome one another. Welcome one another into this family, into this fellowship. And he says, welcome one another. But he says, also, don't quarrel over opinions. There's no book in the Bible that is referred to as first opinions, chapter 4, verse 13. There is no first opinions. There is no second opinions. There's, it's not in the Bible, so we're not supposed to be arguing over opinions because that only seeks to divide. So basically what he's saying is, is don't quarrel over non-gospel essentials. Don't quarrel over what you believe. The gospel essentials that we have are the Bible. We, we believe that the Bible is God's word. We believe that there is a God and he exists in three persons. We believe that there is a Jesus Christ who is fully God and fully man. We believe that it's only through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and his sacrifice on the cross that our sins can be forgiven. And it's only through faith in him and repenting of ourselves that we can have salvation. We also believe that the Spirit... The Spirit of God comes in and dwells believers and help guide believers in truth and in righteousness. The Spirit is there to convict us and to give us power to live the Christian life. And God has saved us so that we live in the community of the church. And those are gospel essentials. Those are things that we cannot disagree on and be in the body of Christ. Those are things that bind us together. But everything else, if we have opinions about them, can seek to divide us. If you put any group of people together, even a group of Christians together, and you get them to focus in on what they believe, not in whom they believe, if we get us to focus in on what we believe, not whom we believe, then there will always be distinctions. I'll never forget the first time 
I was asked, I was a, a pastoral intern, and the pastor I was interning with took me to a pastor's conference. And I was excited about that. I was like, I can't wait to go and to gain all of this wisdom from all these other pastors. And I remember the, the topic of discussion for the whole weekend was uh, eschatology. We were looking at the millennial reign because it was right close to the year 2000, Y2K and all that. And I remember going, and we were sitting down at a table, and I was sitting with a pastor across from me, and we were just talking. And then down the table, I remember these two guys, I remember hearing them discuss when the rapture was going to take place. Like, is the rapture going to be pre-tribulation or post-tribulation? And they started talking just gently, and then it became more and more elevated, and it began shouting. And finally, one guy slammed his hands, one pastor slammed his hands on the table and says, you, my friend, are wrong. And the other guy said, I'm not listening to you anymore. And he stands up and walks out with his hands over his ears. I think to myself, oh my goodness, what am I getting myself into? You see, they, there was, for both of those pastors, they, I'm sure they walk with the Lord, and I'm not questioning their walk with the Lord, but what I'm saying is, is when we get to the point of when we talk about our beliefs more than whom we believe in, that's when we allow ourselves to have these, these confrontations. Yes, the Bible does, is clear that Christ is returning, but there is a way in which we can disagree and we can interpret, does he come before the tribulation, does he come after, is there a rapture, is the physical rapture? Like, there are lots of things we don't know specifically about in Scripture. We know that Jesus is coming back. But those are, so what Paul is saying is don't quarrel over non-essentials. Don't allow those things to bring about distinction, but instead focus in on whom we believe. Sure, we look at our church today, we even look around, and, and I can look around this room, and, and I know many of you in ways of which, I, you know, if we were to look at ourselves, I could say, hey, many of us are at different places in our walks. Some of you are brand new in your walk. Some of you have just come to the place where you, you know that Jesus loves you and you have been saved by him. You have allowed his grace to cover your life and you've repented and you've given him your life and you're just beginning to walk. Some of you have been walking with the Lord way longer than I've even been alive and so that's great. But we're all in different places in our walks and for us to be able to, to start to say, well, who believes this? Who believes that? Who's been walking with the Lord longer? What is your opinion on this? And if we do that, we begin to pull ourselves apart and we begin to find distinctions among ourselves. But we must understand we're in different places and we come from different backgrounds, but we still follow the same Lord. That's what Paul's beginning to say. He says, realize there are differences, but welcome each other into this thing called the body of Christ. The second thing we need to do is, is walk through resisting the desire to judge or despise other believers. Look with me in verses 3 and 4. We need to resist judging or despising other believers. He says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So what typically happens immediately after distinctions or differences are uncovered, we have the tendency to follow the path of the world and either respond through judging or despising those who might be different than us. You see, in the community of faith, our lives intersect with one another, and what we believe and what we think impacts what we do. 
And so what happens sometimes is, is the weaker must walk through a time of resisting being the judge. Imagine it something like this, is the, the Jews are looking at the way the Gentiles are acting, and, and two Jews get together, or two Jewish Christians now get together, and they say to themselves, can you believe those Gentiles? Can you believe that they go around eating whatever they want to, want to eat? Don't they know the food that they're eating is dirty? Why aren't they celebrating the Feast of Booths like the rest of us? They are so wrong. Or the Gentiles say, look at those Jews spending 25 minutes to clean their hands before they sit down to eat. Who do they think they are? You see, judging and despising, immediately we look to other people and we immediately try to size ourselves up against them. And we look at the behavior of the other and it causes us to not draw closer but wants to further separate us because we are not like the other. But you see, that's not our place. We are servants of the Lord. He is the master. He is the judge of what is good and bad, right and wrong. Now, I want to just spend a moment clarifying something here because I've heard it said so many times as we live in Christian community that you're not supposed to judge me, right? Like, don't judge me. Uh, and people feel like the, the church is, is so judgmental. And there's, there's a difference in what I believe the Bible teaches us and tells us that we have the right to do in the community of faith and what we're not supposed to do. And I'm going to clarify that real quickly. And it's not specifically here in Romans, but it's in the Word. And so what I want us to, to see, first of all, in, in, in this community of, of faith, we are called to discern between righteous and sinful behavior. God gives us the word, God gives us the spirit, and in that we can discern between what is righteous behavior and what is not righteous behavior. Uh, I'll give you Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So clearly, Paul is teaching in Ephesians that there is a way in which believers are supposed to discern behavior that is of the light and that which is of the darkness. So we're able to, we must understand what is, what is fruitful and beneficial and what is harmful and what is hurtful. So we're called to discern. We're also called to care and correct within the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. 
So he says, in this community of faith, we, we are to know what is right and what is wrong, what is, what is, what is righteous and what is sinful. And then as we, we live among our brothers and sisters in, in Christ, we are to watch each other's lives. And if we see our brother or sister that is entering into sin, we are to go and to make them aware of their sin. Not in a condemning way, but in a way that leads to restoration of relationship. I mean, in the same way, if, if I'm standing and we're walking down the street and I see my child running into the street and there's an oncoming truck, would I not go to my child and say, stop, you're running the wrong way? That's loving, right? But if I were to say to them, you are stupid and you, I wish you were never born for them running in the street, you see the difference? One is judgmental and one is, is taking the value of their life and, and bringing it low. The other is saying, I care for you. Please watch out. There's, a, there's an oncoming truck. So in the body of Christ, we are, we are to care and correct those that are among us. But there's, a, there's one layer that we're not supposed to go beyond that. We are not responsible to condemn our brothers or sisters. Let me, let me give you an example real quick. Let's say, let's say two families are talking about their summer plans. They, they're over for a cup of coffee, and they're, they're just sitting down on the table. And one family says, hey, guess what we've decided to do with our summer vacation this year? We've decided that we're going to go on a vacation, or we're going to go on a mission trip. We're going to go to an orphanage in West Europe, and we're going to spend our time helping these kids. We're going to tell them about Jesus, and we're going to love on them. We're going to make them dolls, and we're going to do all these great things. And the other family says, well, guess what we're going to do on our summer vacation? We're taking a trip to a private island, and it's going to be an all-inclusive week on the beach where we're going to get to eat whatever we want to. We're going to spend family time together, and we're going to get to do all of this fun stuff, jet skiing and all these great things. Now, if the one family that is going to take the mission trip looks at this other family and says or even in their own minds, they may not actually say it out loud, but they may say it amongst themselves as the husband and wife are laying in bed that night. Can you believe that family? Can you believe that they're going to spend their summer vacation all on themselves? That is so wrong. How can they go away for a week and spend it all on themselves? How selfish. Now that family has just made a judgment call they have no idea what's going on in that other family. Who knows if, if their relationship, that, that family, is in the process of, of trying to come back together at, from a time of being fractured. What if that husband and wife have spent the last year at odds with each other and the family has just needing some time to get away so they can be together and to reestablish those bonds? We don't know those things, but we're so quick to jump to conclusions and to jump to judgment calls about what people do. And Paul says, resist it, resist. It's not your place to make judgment calls on others' lives. And the reason that we're not called to do this is because we are not the master. God is, Jesus Christ himself is the master. He is the one that sets the standards over us, and each of us servants will be judged by our master's standards, not our standards or other standards. Look at me in verse 4. We'll see it again. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
So the question you should be asking yourself then is, how do I know if I'm living up to these standards or if I will fall by these standards? I think in the next few verses, Paul gives us a great filter for our activities in the areas of freedom. In the areas of freedom, Paul is going to give us a key rubric that we can lay over our lives as a way of filtering decisions as we decide what to eat and what to celebrate where to go, and how to live within our liberties and within our freedoms, he's going to give us a key, key thing so that we can lay over our lives. And it is going to be honoring the Lord with our decisions. That's the key rubric. Does what I'm about to do honor the Lord? Look at me in verse 6. He says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So what he's saying is it, it doesn't matter if you're an abstainer or if you're a partaker in, in the days and the special foods. He says it doesn't matter as long as in the process you're trying to honor the Lord in those things. If in the ways that you're celebrating, you are lifting them up to God and saying, God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you. You, can, you have the freedom to do both. So the question we ask our lives, in our lives as we're seeking to make decisions is, does this activity honor the Lord? So whether we choose to participate or refrain, we do so because it honors the Lord. If a Jewish person continues to follow the cleansing practices before eating, so if a Jewish person says, hey, I've come to faith in Christ, but yet I want to continue to participate in washing my hands, going through the rituals of washing my hands, because in it, it helps remind me of what Jesus has done for me. It reminds me that, that I am filthy, and yet he has washed me clean. Like if, if that is a worshipful time for a Jewish believer to continue to do, by all means, continue to do it because it honors the Lord. But if that Jewish believer is washing their hands because in some way they, they feel dirty about their lives and they're trying to wash away their sin and earn righteousness before God or earn the grace of God, it is to be dispelled of because that is not what God wants us to do. Our righteousness is not found in the things that we do and the ways that we wash. Our righteousness is found in Christ alone. So does what I choose to do or eat bring attention to God or myself? This is something that, that is a beautiful practice for us as we, as, as believers of Christ, have the opportunity to walk through this. We walk through times with the Lord asking him, God, is this decision, what I'm about to do or what I want to eat or where I want to go, is this honoring to you? And it gives us an opportunity to allow his word and his spirit to guide us. Those are the things that we need as we walk through this world. Let me give you an example of how honoring the Lord through our decisions has changed in my life. When I was a child... Uh, my parents, uh, we were walking through a time in our, in our church where they were uncovering the truths about the practice of Halloween, uh, about how it came about in America and the uses and how it was a pagan holiday and all of this. And so as they were learning this new truth, they decided that the ways in which they wanted to honor the Lord is to not participate in Halloween. Instead, what they said is they came to us, set us down at the table and said, this family will no longer celebrate Halloween by going out trick-or-treating. I died in just a little bit in that moment. But also, I 
thought to myself, well, they're my parents, and so I asked the question, well, why? Why aren't we doing this? And they proceeded to tell me the reasons in which they didn't want us to participate. Instead of participating uh, in Halloween, what we were going to do is to use that night as a family time. We would gather for a meal, and we'd watch movies together and just spend family time. And especially at that time when we were getting a little bit older and, and the activities of life were, were stretching us. There were very few times we were sitting together as a family anymore because we were going to this and going to that. So my parents said, on Halloween, we're going to treat that much the same way we treat other special holidays, such as Thanksgiving, as we're going to use that as family time. And I thought, wow, I was bummed. But I began to grow and, and to love that time. And then many years later, I, I, I was on staff at a church, and I uh, came into the church, and they celebrated Halloween like to the hill. Like Halloween was the greatest day in the life of that church. And they did it in a little bit different way. They understood that Halloween was, a, was an opportunity to provide a safe alternative to trick-or-treating, that families would come to the church if there was a festival, if there was a time of fellowship, and kids could dress up, and they could go trunk-or-treating. That means going from trunk to trunk instead of house to house and get lots and lots of candy. And, and they, we determined as, as a church that this was a great way to, to take uh, an event in the life of our culture and use it to redeem it for opportunities for people to connect with the gospel. So as we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families come to our fall festivals, they would hear the gospel. They would see the love of Christian community in a safe way. And so the church had determined that it was great to honor the Lord in that way, and so we participated in it. And now my family has come here, come from that practice, and the way that we've determined that we honor the Lord through Halloween is we make it a time for us to connect with our neighbors. I love Halloween, uh, the way we celebrate it now, because I really believe it honors the Lord and makes me feel good. We get together at someone's house, usually it's Lorraine's house, or it's our house, or maybe it's the Payne's house, and we get everyone, as many people as we can together, and we have chili, somebody brings the, the beans, someone brings this, and someone brings that, and we just spend the time together fellowshipping with one another, and then we go out trick-or-treating as this mob of parents and kids. It's an, an insane thing to see. You can just see the, the as people open up the doors, they're like, wow, we're mobbed by all these people. And they get excited and we're excited. And it's just a great time to fellowship. And I believe that this is also another way of honoring the Lord. But if someone were to look at that and say, which is the right way to celebrate Halloween? Is it to abstain completely? Is it to go all out and engage completely? Or is it to connect with neighbors? I would say in each one of those ways, it's perfectly fine to honor the Lord in any of them. Just as long as you have determined between you and the Lord, this is the way we're choosing to honor the Lord through this. So I will say a couple things about this. There is a way in which eating Twinkies can honor the Lord. I'm just going to be silly, okay? There are ways in which eating Twinkies can honor the Lord, and there are ways in which eating Twinkies cannot honor the Lord. If you're eating the Twinkie and you choose to eat a Twinkie and you're savoring the flavor and thanking God so much for the fluffy goodness in the middle and the golden sponginess of the cake and you're eating it saying, God, thank you for good things. Like, I know this isn't going to do a lot of great health for my body, but thank you for good things. Or if you've determined between the Lord you're trying to walk towards healthiness there's a way in which you hoard the cookies or the, the Twinkies and you hide them and you're eating them like this. That's a way of not honoring the Lord with that decision, right? So there's also a way in which we can honor the Lord by what we eat and what we don't eat. There's a way in which we can choose to honor the Lord by what we watch. There's a way in which we can choose to honor the Lord in how we spend our vacations. 
what we choose to do for fun, where we choose to go to eat for dinner. Those are all things that we can think through and, and live intentionally that say we honor the Lord in these things. So I honor the Lord with our decisions. And lastly, we live under the lordship of Christ. Look with me in verse 7. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For it is this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Or you, why do you despise your brothers? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Basically what Paul is saying in, in all of this is that we live not for the approval of man, but we live in the joy of Christ. He is our ultimate authority. He is the one we bow our knees to. He is the one we must give an account of our lives to. You don't have to give an account to your neighbor for why you're going on this trip or not going on this trip, but you have to give an account to God. And in the end, we will stand before God and give an account of our lives. And he's not saying here, this is not over salvation. What he's saying is, is once you're saved, you're, you're, you're in. Once you're saved, you, you can be assured of your salvation. But he says, in this process, in this time of sanctification, from the time of your salvation until you are called home, there's a time in which we have freedom to make a lot of decisions. And in some way, we will stand before the Lord when he calls us home, and we will give an account for what we do in that space. I don't know if he'll go decision by decision or activity by activity, but in some way we will stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I did this because of this. I did this because of this. And it won't be a time of condemnation, but it'll be more of a time of us seeing the ways in which we are honoring to the Lord, and those will be sweet. And then instantly we'll be sorrowful for the ways that we missed it, and instantly the grace of God will cover us. But in some ways we will give an account. So today, as we come to a time of close, let us be reminded of just a couple things. Maybe, maybe you find in your, your heart and your life that you have a disposition towards being a judge. Maybe you've allowed judgmentalism to, to have a home in your heart. And you find yourself, when you're talking with your friends or you're talking with your confidant, you find yourselves looking at other people's lives and making judgment calls. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to spend time with God, just going before him and just saying, God, I confess my heart towards being judgmental. God, would you please break me of that? Because I know that you do not call us to be distinct, but you call us to be unified. So if you have a heart towards judgmentalism, ask God to do that. And even spend time asking God to make you aware of the times that you're being judgmental. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm judgmental. Well, maybe then you just need to ask God to help you this week be reminded or be aware of when you are being judgmental and then ask God to forgive forgiveness. Or maybe today, maybe you've learned today that in your family or in your own personal life, whether you're married or you're still single, maybe you've learned today your need to ask God the question, does this activity or what I'm going to do or does this decision honor the Lord or not? Maybe that's a new, new thing for you. I want to encourage you to begin implementing that in your life. Ask God, God, is this honoring to you? Is it, is it 
or isn't it? And if it's not, let me know so I can avoid it and allow him to grow you in your faith. But in all, let us be people that reset our eyes on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you today that uh, sometimes your word wants to impact our mind. Sometimes your word wants to impact the way we feel. But in all ways, God, we know that your word wants to move us uh, closer to acting and being more like you. So I pray today, however this message has landed on our hearts and on our minds, Father, I pray that it would change us, that we would allow you to have space in our lives to change us. So Father, help us in whatever way we need to be changed by you. And Father, this week, as we go from this place, may our eyes look to you, whether what this week has for us, whether it's good, it's bad, hard, easy, fun. I, I don't know what the week before us holds, but I know you hold our week. So Father, I pray that in all things, our eyes would look to you. In Jesus' name we pray.